0: This episode of the Getting Better Now podcast is brought to you by Golf Genius Software. Less work, more fun, and more revenue.
1: Whatever you are in charge of, you have an opportunity to make that an oasis of excellence. To make that this little area of life that is so well-led and so well-organized. And that really is the, it's the way life works. That if you, are, if you show that you're able to lead that, um, that really is the pathway to leading more. And if you can learn how to lead right where you are, uh, obviously, I, that, you know, my hope is that it would help you figure out, it would help you learn to lead uh, when you are in charge. This is the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network the show by golf professionals for golf professionals profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career
0: make a lasting impact
1: and achieve your goals here's your host pga professional from st david's golf club dean candle
0: legendary leadership expert and best-selling author john c maxwell once said Leadership is not about titles or positions. It's about one life influencing another. Simply put, this quote means, leadership is about influence. I point this out because so often when we're in a position that doesn't appear to allow for any influence or the ability to make a significant impact, we sit back and wait until it's our turn to be in a position to lead when we're given or awarded a new job with a big title that seems to mean we've made it to a leadership position. In our business, this is usually the assistant professional that's waiting for his or her turn to be a head professional so he can finally influence what's happening at their facility. I know from my own experience, I can recall saying a lot of, when I get a job, I'm going to, or if I were the head pro, I'd do it this way. So if leadership is about influence, it turns out that we don't need a title in order to make a difference. Thanks to our guest today, we're going to learn what it actually means to lead when we're not in charge. In this episode, Clay Scroggins walks us through the four behaviors that he's pinpointed to be able to cultivate influence when you don't have the title, while preparing you to succeed when the time comes and that title is yours. I really believe this is one of the most important episodes we've done, because this information isn't really taught in our business, but I think it can really help aspiring leaders in our industry to improve and to make an impact. Clay's four behaviors are an outline on how to truly become an A player at your club and someone that stands out from the pack. Follow them, and I think you'll be on the path to success. And for those listening that are in a position where we often coach and mentor younger professionals in this business, I really think Clay's information provides a great framework to help guide us through that process. If you're wondering what a church pastor might know about all of this, it helps to get some background on Clay and the church that he's a part of. Clay's the lead pastor for Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Buckhead is one of the largest church campuses in the North Point Ministries. North Point sees over 9,000 people on average per week. Yes, 9,000 people per week. So, this isn't some little church down the street. This is a sizable organization with a 90 plus million dollar budget and hundreds of employees that impacts thousands of people on a regular basis, and Clay is a big part of that. Not to mention that he works for one of the most influential leadership teachers in America, Andy Stanley. Andy also has a great podcast that I recommend checking out, and his episode with Clay is also a fantastic listen. You can find out more about Clay at ClayScroggins.com and pick up his book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, on his site or on Amazon. I really highly recommend it. So here it is, our interview with Clay Scroggins. I hope you enjoy it. Lay Scroggins, welcome to the Getting Better Now podcast. I really thank you for your time today. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you, Dean. I'm. Uh, I was intrigued by uh, you've got a real, uh, you've got a great market, a very uh, specific niche of people that you're talking to that I thought was really, really uh, a really great way to serve people, which is cool.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and that's exactly why I thought this was going to be a great topic for us. Is so many of the listeners to this show are assistant golf professionals in the business. They're aspiring head professionals, aspiring leaders at their clubs and their facilities. And this topic of how to lead when you're not in charge is directly relatable to them in their efforts to become better leaders before they get to yeah. that position where they have the title. And I think also for people out there that are in a position such as mine, where we have these assistant professionals on our staff, this is also, I think, going to help all of us become better coaches and better mentors to help those uh, aspiring leaders kind of get understand how to lead when they're not in charge and how to make an impact on their facilities, no matter what kind of facility they're at. So I'm excited about this topic. So thanks again for coming on. Glad to do it. So let's start by giving everybody a little context uh, about North Point, about your role there as a pastor. I think for some people may not be familiar with a church, the size and the scale of North Point. We might be thinking about the little tiny church down the street that might have two full time employees, but that's certainly not what you're involved in as a, as a pastor at North Point, is it?
1: it yeah, it's a uh, we are a pretty I would say we're a mid size organization. Um, we have you know about a maybe a 90 million dollar budget 2019 total staff about 600 and we've got six locations in the Atlanta area and I lead uh one of our locations and we'll have let's see on Sunday we probably had about 8,000 people uh in our building during the day and our staff uh at the location I'm at is about about 80 people Mm -hmm. um so yeah, that's what I, that's what I lead, and the topic uh, of trying to lead, even though you're not in charge, I is I have just found it is a very relevant topic to not just somebody in the church world, not just somebody in the business world, but in golf shops all over all over the world and schools all over the world. Um, everybody knows what it feels like to be in a position where. You've got ideas, you've got dreams, you've got things that you think need to happen and you're having to work not. Well, a lot of times people try to work around authority, but really the the hope is to be able to work through authority to be able to accomplish what you want to get done. So, um, yeah, it is a it's a very relevant topic to me and I hope it will be to your listeners as well.
0: Well, I'm sure it will be. What was it? What was it specifically about your experience before you were in these leadership positions that led you to have a great understanding about this, or or did a lot of it come after the fact, looking back at at your experience before you got to these positions where uh, you were kind of put in a position of leadership?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I would say first of all, I you know, working in a church context where work really we're a uh, we build, we, we develop content all the time. I mean, that's what we do is mm. we're trying to create content uh, that will help people. And <clears throat> so I was putting together, I was trying to answer the question, what am I learning right now? Because I had a, I had to give this talk to uh, our staff and uh, I wrote down that phrase. I'm trying to learn how to lead, even though I'm not in charge. And I think what it was for me was I started realizing that I had gotten a couple of promotions or things that that they were they were job changes that seemed like promotions where I was taking on more responsibility. I had more authority, and I just remember thinking. So, so for instance, at um, one of the locations I was at, I I did student. I I worked with high school students, and so I remember thinking Mm -hmm. there are things that I want to do. There are programs I want to try. There are ways that I want to use our building, and I just can't because I'm not the person that uh, is over the whole location. And then I got this promotion Mm -hmm. to become... I moved into the role of being over the location where I had previously thought, oh, once I get there, I'll be able to do everything I've ever wanted to do. And then I got that new job and realized, oh, wow, I still can't do all that I want to do because I'm still not the most senior leader in the organization. And so I think that's what, what it was for me was getting... I guess it was really the, uh, the disappointment that really happened because of a promotion that, that exposed this lie that I was believing that said that you've got to be in charge mm-hmm. if you want to lead. And until you're really in charge, you just can't lead. You're just waiting to lead. Um, the, the interesting thing about this, Dean, is that the more I've talked about this, um, I've had the opportunity to sit down with a, lot, a couple of CEOs one of which is the former CEO of the Home Depot here in Atlanta, who Mm -hmm. um, I I got a chance to ask him about this and say, hey, so I'm assuming once you get to be the CEO of a Fortune 50 company, then you really get to lead like you want to lead. And he kind of laughed and said, you know, when I became the CEO of the Home Depot, I all of a sudden felt responsible or accountable to uh, report to every customer that we had that walked through the doors of the Home Depot. So in a sense, I had more bosses and really what I was trying to help, what I was trying to understand or what I feel like what I was really learning at the time was how it's really influence. It's not authority that makes a great leader. And even when you are the senior most leader, uh, the best way to lead is through influence. And so, um, I don't know. It just gave me a great I think it gave me a great sense of empathy for people that aren't in charge, for people that are in that second chair or in the second seat or even, you know, buried in an organizational chart trying to figure out how can I make a difference. And so it's really the the message that I feel like I have is a message of hope, really trying to help people understand you can make a difference wherever you are, because influence is what makes a great leader, not authority.
0: Sure. And the more I think about influence and leadership equaling influence, then in the context of the golf professional, let's say assistant golf professional, at most clubs, an assistant golf professional is put in charge of something very specific. It might be a True. women's golf program or a junior golf program or a part of the golf shop the merchandising operation. And, you know, looking back at myself, I never thought of myself as a leader of that that particular a part of our operation, but that's your opportunity to to make an impact and to have influence over over some portion of our operation. So exactly the opportunity is right. there, and okay. uh, we're we're going to go through today these these four behaviors of how to lead when you're not in charge. So yeah. those those people listening can t- kind of take this and take it right to your club and start tomorrow. Uh, to understand how you can make an impact and how you can influence and, and start leading right away.
1: Before I jump into those, can I just make one comment about what you said? Because I thought that was really insightful yeah. that um, everyone, you know, n- no one ultimately is in charge of everything, but everyone is in charge of something. And it might mm-hmm. be a junior golf program. It might be the, uh, the, the cart barn that you're in charge of, but whatever yeah. you are in charge of, you have an opportunity to make that an oasis of excellence to make that this little area of life that is so well led and so well organized. And that really is the, it's the way life works that if you are, if you show that you're able to lead that, um, that really is the pathway to leading more. And if you can learn how to lead right where you are, uh, obviously I, that, you know, my hope is that it would help you figure out, it would help you learn to lead uh, when you are in charge. And so what you're doing right now is not wasted, but
0: Sure. I guess we're building that foundation about learning how to lead because it's probably not going to change, you know, once you get to that position with the title, right? (laughs) The fundamentals up. I hope that you're enjoying this interview. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Golf Genius. It's time to say goodbye to three ring binders in your golf shop. Golf Genius Software's new product called Golf Shop helps golf professionals save time, eliminate paperwork and deliver exceptional service to their club members. Golf Shop streamlines special orders, tracks demo clubs, and automates member communication. It's also designed to end the long-standing reliance on three-ring binders, notepads, spreadsheets, and other older and less efficient methods of managing Golf Shop workflow. Simon J. Buckle, he's the PGA head professional at Brook Hollow Golf Club, commented that Golf Genius Golf Shop has streamlined the way we handle special orders. All the order details are in one place and are quickly accessible. We can stay one step ahead of any issues automatically, keeping members informed about the progress of their order and deliver excellent service to our membership. As somebody who has been using this product as well, I agree with that 100%. And GBN members received special pricing through 2019 on Golf Genius Golf Shop. To learn more about Golf Genius Golf Shop, go to golfgenius.com. Now back to our interview.
1: I developed these. What I did was is I tried to answer the question, okay, so what am I doing that's cultivating me influence and what am I doing that's costing me influence? And it really allowed me to bump into four behaviors that I, it, it was really personal. It was, it was my own journey of going, okay, here are four things that I've got to start doing a better job of if I want to gain more influence for myself so that I can be uh, an even better leader from the seat that I'm in um, and so if it's okay I'll just run through these four things um, the first one is That's to great. lead yourself the first one is to lead yourself really well it's what you're you know it's what you're ultimately most in charge of is you and there's a quote from Tom Watson not the golfer but the uh, former CEO okay. of the IBM. <laughs> He said, nothing mm-hmm. so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day to day basis to lead yourself. I love that quote. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day to day basis to lead yourself. That basically what he's saying is, hey, the most important thing, the most important person you're going to lead today is yourself. And if you can learn how to lead yourself really well, it really is the pathway to lead more. And so the first step that every one of us has to take in cultivating more influence with other people is learning to lead the hardest person that we'll ever have to lead. And that's ourself. Um, and leading yourself is not Mm -hmm. an easy thing to do. Um, I'll just, if it's okay, Dean, can I just give a quick overview and then we can dive back into any of these that you would like? Yeah, perfect. Okay. The second one is to choose positivity. Um, it's so easy to become negative, to feel passive, to feel underappreciated or to feel useless or to feel like a victim when you're not in charge. But great leaders learn that it's not their education or experience or ideas or skill set or talents that really make them a great leader. It's their energy. And you can choose to bring that energy every single day, even in the face of difficult circumstances. And if you can do that, you'll be a person that cultivates more energy, cultivates more influence uh, in the short term and in the long term. And so you've got to decide, am I going to be a wind in my boss's sail or am I going to be a wind against my boss? Uh, but whatever you choose, mm-hmm. if you can be a wind in your boss's sail, I really think you can cultivate more influence for yourself, which will allow you to lean more. Um, the third one is to think critically. It's the skill of actually making something better. Uh, choosing positivity is a posture. Thinking critically is a, uh, it's a skill. And the thing that's great about skills is that you can, you can improve upon a skill. But the thing that's frustrating about skills is that it takes practice but you can actually become better at thinking critically. Uh, most people lean one way or the other. They either are naturally positive or they're naturally analytical in their wiring. And if you have an, an analytical wiring, if you uh, have a high attention to detail, very thorough work ethic, chances are it's uh, thinking critically comes natural to you. But the danger is, is that when, when you have the skill of thinking critically, oftentimes you, it's very easy to slip into becoming a critical person. And when we're critical, it's just so difficult to develop influence for ourselves because nobody wants to be around somebody who's critical. Um, the last one is to reject passivity. It's to, you know, when, when you're, when you're not the decision maker, which is one of the most difficult things of not being in charge is somebody else is ultimately making the decision. It's just real easy to sit back and become passive. And it's like a cancer in a way. It's like a, it's something that gets inside of us. And if you can resist the, if you can resist that, but instead uh, reject that passivity and take initiative over something, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. what you're most passionate about, or even in the better case, it's what your boss is most interested in. And if you can take action around that, um, it I've just found in my own life, in my own work world, it's helped me develop more influence. So those are the four behaviors mm-hmm. that I really uh, have, empl- have tried to employ for myself is to lead me to choose positivity, to think critically and then to reject passivity.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you used these four in, in a coaching and mentoring role yourself now with people um, that work for you or work with you to help them get better at their job? Just kind of an outline for you? or Yeah,
1: for sure. And I mean, well, I mean, for one, I've just taught this. I mean, yeah. hundred, hundreds of times at this point, but we use it with, uh, we use it with all of our new staff. We use it with, Uh, new interns. Um, It's just a way for us to really try to set culture. Um, And I think what Mm -hmm. So my boss is uh, the senior leader of our organization. His name is Andy Stanley. I think he he really latched onto this because um, I think it was something he wanted to say, but as the senior leader, it's difficult to say all of that. So I think coming at it from my vantage point, from the seat that I sit in where I'm not fully in charge, uh, it actually lends a Mm -hmm. bit more credibility to it.
0: Hmm. Because I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking, if you're out there, and you know, in my case, in this business, if you're an assistant professional, and you want to you want a way to be a rock star assistant and to yeah. really make waves at your club and be somebody that your boss can say, pick up the phone and call you know the next great club down the street and say, you need to hire this guy or girl. Like, if you're doing these four things, then you know it's 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 a roadmap to success just by the the way it sounds.
1: I I, I would hope so
0: jump back into a little bit about lead yourself. It seems to me like that's got to start with a decision you make internally saying, yes, I am going to I am going to make an impact at my club or on my operation and understanding that that's, that starts with you and then probably figuring out where those first and foremost, where are those areas where you can make an impact right yeah, away.
1: That's exactly right. It's it's becoming more aware of your own strengths, but then also becoming more aware of your own opportunities for growth. And the easiest way to do that is usually the most difficult way is to try to uh, gain feedback from other people on how we're doing. Um, it's wild to me to think about this, Dean, but there's there is feedback that is orbiting your world right now. That if you knew it, it would make you better at your job. But we mm-hmm. are so hesitant to go and get that feedback. Because it hurts, it feels like rejection, and so the sooner you can plow through that difficult feedback, plow through that rejection, and actually take what's in it for you to grow, um, the sooner you'll be able to become a better version of yourself. And ultimately, leading yourself really it begins with understanding exactly where you are, because you can't get to where you want to be until you know exactly where you are. And the, the the fearlessness that can happen when we decide. I want to grow more than uh, I'm afraid of this feedback, um, the sooner we'll be able to put together a plan on what it is we need to do to develop. And that's not easy to do, but um, that can be an incredibly helpful aspect of personal Mm self-leadership.
0: I've talked about it before in this podcast, but I've only really done one 360 uh, review in my in my time in the position where I am and I wish I did it earlier and and I said as I said last time it it hurt to get some of this feedback but it's been the most beneficial thing that that I've ever done as far as helping me become better a better manager and a better leader because I had to face the you know the facts that hey everything I thought I was doing really well wasn't necessarily the case so you you talked about it as being kind of just getting past that roadblock of accepting that feedback and using it to help you get better. It's it's tough to do. I'm saying this from experience, but I can't encourage people, you know, more to to just kind of face facts and do that because it's it's kind of a necessary evil.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, to I totally right. agree. Yeah, I've I've been a three uh, sixties like that have benefited me tremendously. And you're right. There's a little bit mm-hmm. of sting up front because we think well what does this say about me but the more we're able to detach from the or detach ourselves from the feedback the better we are to receive it um, i think too often mm-hmm. we let the feedback tell us who we are which the feedback is not a source of identification it's not telling you who you are it really is just telling you how you're doing and if you can if you can wade through the how you're doing with a firm foundation of knowing exactly who you are it'll allow you to receive that feedback in a more helpful, uh, better way. It'll allow you to digest it in a better way.
0: So what if I feel like I decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to take these four behaviors. I'm going to implement them. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing everything I can do. And you decide that, hey, I really want to have an influence on this particular area of my golf operation, but we're not getting the support of our boss. Yeah. What can we do? to try to help people that are in that situation or feeling that way. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a very common question because most people listen to a talk like this and they think, okay, that would be great. That that would be all well and good, but my boss stinks. Um, And and the truth is most people work for someone they don't enjoy, unfortunately. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. a, it's just a very common, uh, a very common response to this. So I would say, first of all, um, if you're working for a difficult boss right now, what you're doing is not wasted. Uh, there is so much for you to learn. There's so much growth that can take place when you're working for a difficult boss. Uh, why is that? Well, it's because strength is built when there's resistance. It's the very simple form of the reason why weights are designed to do what they do for our muscles, for our own bodies, that the the weight of the weight actually provides resistance, which develops strength in us. And the same is true in your job right now. If your boss is difficult, if your boss is hard to work for, um, there is so much, uh, there's so many gains to be had in a situation like that because you are learning to develop skills that you wouldn't develop otherwise. And so I, I just would I know if somebody's listening today and they're working for a difficult boss and maybe they're even feeling a sense of frustration or a sense of disappointment or dismay, I just hope that today can be a day of hope for you to know that what you're doing right now is not wasted. Uh, you still have a great opportunity to grow and you have a great opportunity to grow in ways that you wouldn't grow otherwise. And so know that, just know that it's not wasted. But then mm-hmm. secondly, um, I wrote two chapters at the end of this book about what is it like to challenge your boss? Um, how do we do that well? Because I knew I was really anticipating being a question like yours of going, okay, I'm sure people are going to go. All right. So I feel like I've got to go have a hard conversation with my boss now, because I've led myself as well as I can. I've been as positive as I can. I'm trying to think critically and bring value to what we're working on. I've tried to reject passivity and take initiative and take action, but my boss just doesn't see it or my boss just doesn't get it. And eventually I'm going to go have to have a difficult conversation. Whenever... Whenever there's something that needs to be changed, there's always a there's always a challenging conversation that uh, is the prerequisite for it. And so a challenging conversation naturally puts somebody on their heels, makes somebody feels feel defensive. Uh, but learning how to have those in learning, learning for those to be a common form of your rhythm is a really important skill mm-hmm. in the professional world. And then secondly, learning how to do it in a way that's, that doesn't create defensiveness. But learning how to do it in a yeah. way that creates a bridge of relationship that's heavy, that's strong enough to bear the weight of whatever the change is that you want to have happen. So um, learning how to do that, learning how to have those difficult conversations, I feel like it really is the key. Eventually, it can become the key to seeing sustained change in, in your relationship with your boss.
0: Also, and when you uh, we're talking about point number three, thinking critically, that's what I was kind of thinking about is learning how to have those conversations right. where you can provide critical feedback or yeah. critical input, but not be critical, right? So that's exactly right. I think that's a challenge, especially if we're talking about a 24-year-old, you know, two years out of college sure. talking to somebody that's been in a position for 25 years. That's
1: exactly right.
0: It's tough to, to verbalize that. Yeah. So are there ways that, that you've experienced or, or taught others that they can approach those conversations sure. with uh, with their boss? To, what's the best way to do that?
1: I've got a good friend, actually, Dean, who works at Peachtree Golf Club. And it's the exact same situation that you just referred to. He's a young, right out of college guy who sees some opportunity for them to grow in ways mm. that uh, his boss just doesn't necessarily see. And I was just having the same conversation with him about this. Um, I like to use these four A's mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a roadmap, as a strategy. Most people have no strategy in hard conversations. And so that's the first thing I would say is yeah. you got to have a strategy. You got to have an approach and um, you got to you, you have to have thought through it. You can't just think that you're going to naturally do well because difficult conversations are difficult for a reason. And we are not wired as humans. We mm-hmm. don't come out of the womb trained and ready to have difficult conversations, it really is a skill that you have to acquire, but it's also something you have to prepare for and get ready for, um, just as you would a, a golf tournament, or just as you would a, a round. I mean, I think about how much time a caddy sure. spends on a green trying to really learn the way it rolls. Uh, the same, the same thing is mm-hmm. true for a difficult conversation. So, the four A's that I use when I talk about difficult conversations: number one uh, is to affirm, is to affirm. What, what can you say that can affirm your intentions or your uh, loyalty even or your uh, your goodwill toward your boss? And so I usually start with mm-hmm. whatever I can say. And, it, you know, a lot of times we think it's brown nosing or we're kissing up. No, we're just creating a safe space and we're letting them know, hey, I'm not after your job. I'm not trying to make more money. Uh, I'm not leaving. I have some ideas mm-hmm. on how we can grow. And I just want to have a safe conversation about that. So I want to let you know up front that I affirm you as a boss or wh- whatever it is that you can say that's most or true.
0: You might say, I would, I guess then you might say, I really love working here. I love this club. I really enjoy working you know, for you. And here's what I'm exactly. But here's what I've seen. Exactly. Right? Okay.
1: That's a cool. great, to me, you're basically, you know, the way I think about it is what's the worst case scenario that this person is going to leave the conversation thinking that I'm doing? Whatever that is, I try to speak directly to it. So I try to affirm them and just let them know, hey, I'm not whatever, whatever, whatever. So the first one is affirm. Yeah. The second one is to ask. Um, a lot of times we go in with our barrels loaded, ready to throw out everything we've ever thought of, but we really need to go in with a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity. Um, arrogant people don't ask questions. If you've ever noticed this in life, mm-hmm. arrogant people don't ask questions because they know it all. They don't need to ask any questions. And if you can suspend mm-hmm. your own beliefs, suspend your own judgment, um, you know, that feeling that we all have that I'm, I understand the situation fully, I know exactly what's happening. I've diagnosed it. I already know the problem and I know the solution. Um, you've got to suspend that and you've got to walk in with curiosity mm-hmm. and you've got to go, hey, help me understand why do we allow what we allow? How did that start? Mm -hmm. How long have we been doing that? What are the costs of changing that? Have we ever tried to change it? Okay, we did four years ago. Tell me a little bit more about that situation. Why did we revert back to the process that we currently have? You've got to go in with as much curiosity as possible because your boss sees something that you don't see. That's why your boss is in the position that your boss is in. And to be able to gain that perspective, the only way you're going to gain it is through question asking, is through curiosity. And so I try to encourage mm-hmm. people to start with affirming. Secondly, ask as many questions as possible. And then third, acknowledge what you've heard. So this is a very simple form of communication. But uh, one of the greatest, most powerful forms of communication is just being heard. And you need to, your boss needs to know that you hear him or you hear her. And so it probably means speaking back what you just heard. Hey, so let me be clear. What I heard you say is that your yeah. greatest fear of making this change is that people are going to leave the club. Got it hey, so your greatest fear is mm-hmm. that this is going to make uh, the day longer for your employees. Your greatest fear is that this is going to cause the people's rounds to go longer, whatever it may be, uh, to be able to get that out on the table and acknowledge that, hey, I heard you. I heard what you said, that that's the greatest fear. Because whatever their greatest fear is, that's part of what we're negotiating. It's part of what we're managing as employees is we should, on every one of our job descriptions should be, I'm here to manage the, concerns, worries, anxiety of my boss. I mean, that's part of what great employees do. And so if you don't know what those mm-hmm. fears or anxieties are, you can't manage them. And so to be able to acknowledge that back, to be able to affirm, ask, acknowledge, and then to advise. Uh, and then mm-hmm. to say, hey, here are my solutions. I'm not just bringing up problems, but I'm bringing solutions. If you can have a roadmap like that, it just helps so tremendously. Because what happens a lot of times, you get in the middle of it you go, oh, this is way more complex than I thought. Or this is way more difficult. Or my idea is actually a dumb idea. It wouldn't work because I didn't know that so-and-so just told him that that's the reason why we've got to do it that way. So I've got to go back to the table and think about it more. So before I make a fool of myself, I need to ask as many questions as possible. So I think that simple roadmap of affirm, ask, acknowledge, and advise is a great way to approach difficult conversation.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking about that from from my standpoint. If if, uh, an assistant professional, someone on our staff came and and approached a conversation like that, then I, that would be a much more productive conversation because I would know that they have a full understanding, give me an opportunity to say, "Hey, here's the history behind why we do this this way." Yeah. And like you said, maybe you find out that, "Hey, we already tried your idea. Sorry, it didn't work for ABC <laughs> right. reasons." Right. But yeah. that's such a that's such uh, such a better way to have that conversation rather than if somebody barges in the office and says, "Hey, we got to do this." then all of a sudden you're on the defensive. That's and exactly it's not right. a productive conversation at all. Exactly so right. we affirm, ask, acknowledge, and what was the last day? Uh,
1: advise. Advise. Advise, yeah, right. Where we actually all give right. the feedback.
0: So looking at these four behaviors, lead yourself. Uh, we went back and dived a little bit deeper into that. Choose positivity. That's simple. That's not very complicated at all. But this thinking critically uh, rather than being critical, I think that is... Uh, Something that we can all get better at. And as young leaders, being able to do that uh, would be a huge positive. And then rejecting passivity. I think we all know that if we want to be good at our jobs, taking initiative, uh, going above and beyond always goes a long way. Those four behaviors, as I said, just going through this with you, I think that for our listeners out there uh, that are looking to see how they can make an impact and have an influence at their club, make a difference and be able to make a difference at a club and be able to take it with them to another club and work their way up the ladder, this is an awesome roadmap to be able to do that. So I think everybody's going to get a lot of this, a lot out of this, Clay. Uh, The book is How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. It's been out for a couple of years, but uh, ask everybody to you know go ahead and pick that up and give it a read because it will be something that will benefit you if you're not in a leadership position, and I know has also, as I said, benefited me in a way to uh, help young professionals that are working our, on our staff get better at what they're doing. So that's great. I uh, thank you so much for coming on Clay and sharing this with us, teaching us more about this, and I couldn't be more appreciative. Well, thank glad you. Glad to do it. Thanks, Dean and uh, good luck with your golf game. Hopefully you get a lot of golf in this summer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amongst uh, work and family. It's a challenge for everybody, even us golf pros. So thanks again. Okay, Dean. Thank you so much. All right. See you. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be
1: sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.